All right, let's do a quick review from last week. Let's see how you did. What was the text that we used? We're not going to have a new text tonight. We're going to keep working on the last one. What was the text? Ecclesiastes. Why am I lamentations? That's... And we looked um, amongst some others uh, there, and the whole notion of this context of provision is, was that we strive to maybe look less to this world for provision of physical needs. It sounds weird. And recognize that they need other things from us physically than just uh, everything the world offers. So if we pursue all those things, uh, there's a certain level of foolishness in them that we are transferring from generation to generation. And so we want to transfer contentment, we want to transfer thanksgiving, and we want to transfer a knowledge of two things. Um, we want to transfer a knowledge of the difference between a need and a want. Correct? That's essentially what we are trying to do. Do you need that or do you want that? And that we need to recognize that too. Do I need this or do I just want that? And sometimes that we call things needs and we realize I can do it without that. I can do it easier with it. It facilitates whatever I'm doing. Um, and so then it becomes very quickly a need. Uh, today, if you want to go into the construction trade, you need, <clears throat> and there's a whole long list of tools that they expect you to carry now that weren't even existing when I was a child, okay, nail guns. They, you, you would have to have an air nail gun, a uh, framing nailer, all. I have like six nail guns, okay, for different sizes and shapes. Do I need them? Well, they have become a need because we have become lazy carpenters now, and we hardly ever drive a nail with a hammer anymore. It's very rare that carpenters today will drive <coughs> nails with hammers. They'll carry a few nails uh, usually just to tack things in place, and, uh, and, but when they're ready to really nail a building together, they pull out their frame and nailer, and they're going to go at it. So that's how something that is a luxury becomes a necessity. And we begin to lose certain skills in that process. And this process has been going on extensively in the last 60 to 100 years. We, to the degree that now, is electricity a luxury or a necessity? Huh? It's a necessity now. Um, and when I threw out last week, do you really need two cars? You go, oh, yes, we need two cars. And, our, and it wasn't so very long ago that having a car was a luxury. Now, having two cars seems to be a necessity. And so this is the process of of, in, of in being indoctrinated, really, into the concept that Ecclesiastes speaks against. You go after all these things, you chase after them, they then become necessities, and you think, well, I have to have that, or I'm not going to be successful, I'm not going to be happy, I'm not going to be complete, it's, my life's going to be hard. And then we discover that our life is still problematic. Um, do you, you do realize that not so very long ago, 
um, your grandmothers had no vacuum cleaners, no dishwashers, no dryer or clothes washer, electric or gas, either one, that those were not available to them. What, how they washed their clothes was they used these little, and they threw a ringer and then they hung it on the line. Uh, that these things that we think of, well, a house is incomplete without them, are all modern conveniences. So we put together all those modern conveniences that are in your, in your kitchen, uh, in your house, all those modern conveniences. You put them together and you say, okay, uh, what are you doing with all the time that you save because you have those? You no longer have to grind your own wheat on a, on a rock, and you're not doing this. You go to the store and buy that. Uh, you just toss your clothes into a thing, add a little thing, and the machine does all the work. You're not doing this, so you're not spending any time, nor are you making the soap out of pig's fat. Uh, you don't have to make your own soap or out of goat cream or whatever, uh, goat milk. You're not making your own soap. You're not scrubbing your clothes. So all this time is being saved. Now, I'm picking on the women. Um, I, I picked on the men a little bit as well just a minute ago. Notice that. So I'm trying to be equal opportunist here. Uh, so what happened all the time that we're saving you? Well, initially, when these contraptions first took root in our society, what did women do with their time? They went from doing all this physical labor with their children often and to something else. Do you guys know? None of you except for Mrs. Fry in this room are old enough to really know what it was like for housewives once these contraptions arrived. Oh, no, they didn't do it around. Because now we have hairdo things. We have dryers. They didn't have to have hair dryers and all those chemicals they use. So what happened? What happened in the household when that occurred? No, they didn't go to work. No, they didn't go to school either. Huh? They gossiped. That is correct. That is one of the things they did. They gossiped, and it was the time when television took root, and what many housewives did with all their free time was they... There was an introduction of something to fill these housewives' lives with fantasy. And they were called soap operas. And these women would live serendipitously through the soap opera. And so all this time saved. But they also gossiped. And they also were busybodies. And they had all this free time on their hands produced by all this mechanization of all the hard labor they used to have. And, and so... Now, what do you do this free time? Well, some of them start getting into trouble. And it's no mistaking that just about the time of the revolution of the housewife, you have the onslaught of what? Women's liberation movement. You have Planned Parenthood taking root um, because now it's all about I got all this time and we have this rebellion starting in the homes. And born out of that time period are these things that now women are disconnected from the idea that you work at home at being a mother and wife. You're providing a house. Proverbs 31 
talks about this virtuous woman who is up before dawn. Her candle doesn't go out at night because she has all this work to keep her family well clothed, to keep her, and that's not because she went to a, (laughs) she made those clothes and not just went to join fabrics, bought the fabric and sewed them together. She made the fabric. All right, she took the, the wool and she did all the things that we have lost these skills. We've lost all of these skills because of these conveniences, these luxuries that came in, became necessities, and now what happens with idle hands? There's an old saying. Do you know the old saying? Idle hands are what? The devil's workshop or playground. And so that's where it was born out of all of that. And so we have this degeneration of the home, and I contribute it not only to what's going on politically, there was multiple fronts, I'm not saying this is the only thing that caused this, but we have all of these things going on, among them is all of these moms and wives had freedom, they had liberty, they had nothing to do in their home because they had machines to do it all, and... It created this environment. And so Ecclesiastes bring this out. This is all vanity that in the end, um, it's not going to benefit you to get away from these things. So when we're communicating to our children, by the way, there's a big movement right now to try to recover um, these survival skills. And, and uh, you see it, you'll see it at the fair. Uh, you'll see different groups growing, you know, to try to... Um, either recover them or to pass them on because they realize the next generation has no idea how to take an animal and convert it to clothing. We've lost those skills. Uh, we've lost the skills of how to take an animal and convert it to food just pretty much. You know, and, and when I have high schoolers coming into my home and don't understand how an egg works, They don't understand that, and they're thinking, you know, well, that egg will hatch if you, I don't have a rooster. Well, but if you don't refrigerate, it'll hatch. I was like, I don't have a rooster. And they don't get it. It's just right over their head because they don't understand. You have to have a rooster for an egg to hatch. Otherwise, it's just an egg and unfertilized. And you have to have a male and a female to make a baby. Um, otherwise, you just, and, and they didn't understand what an egg was. This was not third graders, this was high schoolers, seniors, juniors, sophomores, you know, with my, my children at school, they had no clue how an egg worked. Okay, so they we're that detached from it. So when we're communicating these things, we want to recognize we are really trying to communicate a different concept that we are content and yet we recognize that Fulfillment is not going to come through entertainment. Fulfillment comes, I I believe biblically, is that we work. The Bible says we should work. How long? From sun up to sundown. That we should earn a living. We should have enough to care for our own family and enough to share. And the, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 is one that cares for her household by her physical presence and capacities that she develops there, her skill set that she adds to the home, in the home specifically. And so we, we have this 
setting. You say, well, that's a different culture, a different time. Realize that covered everything until the last 60 years. Okay, so when you say that, you're saying that applies to everything except for these last 60 years. I know that's your whole lifetime, um, or 80 years, if you want to say 80 years, or 100 years, let's say the 1920s, uh, let's say 1900s, so that'd be 120 years. Um, no, it's the same principles. The principles are true. Um, there is godliness in contentment. There is godliness in working. God expects us to work, earn a living, care for those that have enough to give. That not to take care of your own is worse than an infidel. And so we, and that if you're not a virtuous woman, what's the opposite? Yeah, you're, you're unvirtuous. You're not, you're not virtuous at all. You, you become um, in several categories, but even a busybody um, is one of those. And boy, you can be a busybody here while you're working nowadays with your little phone gadgets and your thumbs. Um, there, is, there is danger there. And so I'm not calling you into an Amish lifestyle, but I want you to recognize as you communicate to your children and your young adults, and remember, children aren't just, it's not from zero to six is the only time you're raising your kids, or you zero to eight, or until you're going to be under your wings in our country until they're 18. Um, but uh, you're going to be communicating to them a philosophy. And Ecclesiastes calls us to really consider carefully what we're telling them. What is the need? What is the want? So in your provision. Now, I'm going to take off from this because I wanted to really cover that. There's a balance point too that uh, my wife was like, well, you can't, you can take that too far. Well, you can take everything too far. All right, you can decide to have an Amish lifestyle. You could also, we talked about your child needs you more than they need more stuff, more than they need, you know, more clothing, more than they need more toys, more than they need entertainment, they need you. But that can be gone, taken too far as well, can't it? where you think you're there to serve them and, and they rule you. Um, no, you are there at, and, and they're at your disposal, not the other way around, okay? Um, they're there for you, not you there for them in that sense, that they don't control that. And so, yes, I've seen parents go too far and, and, and it's like the child is the center of their world and that cannot be the case. And that's not good for you, it's not good for them, because guess what happens when they become an adult? Are they the center of anyone's world? No. No one's world. You are not the center of your employer's world, you're not even the center of your spouse's world, because they're the center of their own world, because they were raised just like you were. And they expect you to have your world centered around them, and you're expecting them to have their set of world centered around you. And so then we have everyone discontented, dissatisfied. And so we want to communicate that early on to our children. You are not the center of my world. Um, and so you're not going to take it to the extreme that we're going to have, I, I just can't leave them um, because I, I have to spend all my extra time with them. All right? If they're involved in your life and you have that contact, that it needs to be managed like anything else. Okay? So that's just covering a couple bases from last week from some questions and statements people made to me. So now I want to get into some really, really dangerous territory tonight. Okay? 
Because whenever I walk away from having texts and scriptures, I'm in dangerous territory. Um, I want to talk about um, three areas. So I don't know if I'll get to them all, but we're going to try. One of the things you need to provide for your child, physical development. And this is for not their, uh, you know, we're, we're limited right now to that they're going to grow in stature. So for their physical development, one of the things that I see our society moving away from is a key component to them developing physically. Physicality isn't just about um, their growing and their weight. It's also about their abilities. What can they do with what they have? And they need to learn how to have hand coordination. They need to strengthen those muscles. They need to use them. They need to know how they work, and especially as they grow. What's funny is when children hit a growth spurt and they outgrow their body, what does that mean? They're awkward. Yeah, they don't know how to, they got these huge limbs going on. They, and, you, and you watch them run and you're like, oh, it just hurts you to watch them run because they're still running like a little person, but they're now, you know, 14 and they're not a little person. You know, and to see, and, and, I, and in middle school, it, well, it used to be in middle school, now it's even younger. In middle school, you know, just to see, and, and I remember that going from being this quick little, I can run in this little circle along here real easy. Now I have to, carefully navigate these curves because they aren't so big anymore and to watch kids growing realize recognize that and to learn how to use their bodies after it has gone through a growth spurt so one of the things your child needs to be provided with that i see lacking a lot in our society because we have this hovering mentality is you ready risk R-I-S-K. You need to provide them opportunities to take risks. To develop their potential of what their body can and cannot do. Now, the problem with this, frankly, in our society is that we have tried to eliminate risk from every environment thanks to attorneys and lawsuits. Okay, and so now we can't hardly even risk a hot cup of coffee because someone sued McDonald's for millions of dollars because they took a hot cup of coffee and poured it on themselves and burned themselves. So you can't, so now we have to label everything, warning, 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 very hot, very hot, because uh, you order a cup of coffee, you don't expect it to be very, very hot, you know, I don't, but we have taken risk and made it liability. And so we don't want the liability, so therefore we have to take risk. We have to take risk out of every playground. And I had a friend who was an attorney in Rio Rancho, and his children went down the slide on a hot day in New Mexico. What do you think happened to them when they were in shorts? They got a burn. So what does an attorney do? He doesn't tell him. He's the attorney. He is, so he sues the city for the playground because there wasn't a shade for the slide, and the slide got hot in the sun, and the kids got burned. All right? And so those kinds of examples of turning risks and just the nature of this world to liabilities has made an attitude that we want to have a risk-free childhood. And that's why you have to strap your kids into a car seat 
It is why you have to put them into a booster seat till they're like 100 pounds or something. I don't know what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, here's 14-year-olds in a little car seat. Next year I can drive. You know, um, that's where it's going to come to eventually. You know, at what point does it end? And so we're trying to say zero risk, which is horrible. A childhood with zero risk is completely boring and will hinder their development. Okay? And so, are your children going to get injured taking risks? Sometimes they're going to twist their ankle, they're going to fall down. What happens if you never let your child risk walking? They'll never walk, which means you have to risk them falling down multiple, multiple times for them to learn to walk. And without risk, you never have development. There was a, I, I was skiing one time up at Santa Fe, and I was kind of embarrassed because I took a pretty hard fall. And uh, I was like, oh, was a stupid thing. You know, I tried, and I was trying to do some moguls, and, and I, you know, you see them on the, they do this on the TV, and it looks real easy. I was like, I could do that. You know, I'm, a, I'm 30. I could do anything. And so I'm bouncing on the moguls, and then I realize, okay, I only covered three moguls, and now I'm in deep trouble because I have no control. And I wipe out. I mean bad wipe out. And so this really good skier comes up behind me, bounce, 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 and he, he stops. He's like, you all right? And I was like, yeah. It's just Mary. He says, oh, keep it up, because if you don't fall, you're not stretching your skills. If you ski and never fall down, you've never tried to expand your skills. And so he's trying to encourage me to keep taking those risks and fall down so you become a better skier. By take, by now, at some point, you know, I'm not going to go flying through a set of trees and kill myself by landing into a tree. Um, but uh, I do have to take some risks to improve my skill set. Your children need the same thing. And you need to allow them risk. Provide them opportunity to take risks. And, and uh, I'm going to tell you who's going to have the problem with this. Mommy. Okay? My wife has a huge problem with my children taking risks, with me taking risks, with the grandchildren taking risks. She's, she's going to jump up and catch them. They might hit their head. They might fall down. They might, yes, they, they, they might bite themselves you know you take their teeth out you know what at what point do we recognize the opportunity to take risks is how they develop their skill set and we know that intuit intuitively when they're learning to walk and crawl but yet when they get a little older we we say oh we have to because we've been ingrained with this mentality that risk equals liability and i don't want to be liable no your children need to take risks so they're going to do things that are kind of stupid, and you're looking like that, and it's like, and every kid takes out his bicycle, builds a little ramp out of a board and a couple of bricks, and comes flying down a hill to see if he can go airborne. I did it. Okay, my wife lost some teeth doing something like that. Um, and, and so what happened? Well, we skinned up our knees. We might have broken our bike. We ran home crying, uh, but we learned. And, oh, I, and, and maybe we learned either not to do it <laughs> or we learned, oh, maybe I need to just tweak this thing. I need a wider ramp because it was just too narrow. I went off of it or, I, I, you know, I need to hit it at a better speed. Or, you know, we got to change some things. And when they become evil Knievel, if you don't know who evil Knievel is, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Um, daredevil guy with a motorcycle. Um, tried to jump the Grand Canyon, the motorcycle didn't make it. He broke a lot of bones. You don't know who evil, how many of you do not know who evil Knievel is? You all do, just Valerie, okay. So, um, we have to give them an opportunity to take risks. And kind of like this morning, we, we, we just, you have to let your loved ones endure pain sometimes. Um, that's a learning curve that they need to be on. Um, and when you try to teach your child how to throw a baseball and catch with a mitt, guess what's going to happen a few times? They're going to take one right to the head, punk. They're going to sit there with their glove like this. You're going to tell them, put the glove right in front of your face, watch the ball go right into it, and they're going to watch the ball go right between their eyes. Bonk, and they're going to go, and they're going to be the evil person. All right, well, you're not. And you're going to get them up, say, okay, that hurt. Yeah, okay, um, don't do that again. All right, you got to get it, watch it go into the glove. You know, use your glove. And, and you keep doing that, and they, then it hits them in their shoulder. And, pretty, and, and that happens. And it's going to have to happen even when they become young adults. When they're in the 14s, 15s, 16s, they're still going to be in that same condition. The problem is we understand that the skill sets and the risks are greater. They're more technical. And you got to let them try. And I, I'm going to, since we got a lot of young men coming, okay, not just these, but, I, but uh, boy, 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 boy. Um, everyone's a boy that we know of except for yours, Maria. So we don't know what yours is yet. But we got all these boys. So what's the skill set we want them to learn? Power tools. Okay? Now, my kids, I bought them chainsaws when, like 15 years ago. When we bought the Bahamas, I bought like three chainsaws. And my wife was like, are you out of your mind? Who are these for? I was like, Julie, Brenda, Scott. And here's mine. Mine's store-bought one, Julie Brent. you bought my child a chainsaw? Are you insane? And I was like, well, we're going to teach him how to do it right and, and, we're gonna, and teach him all the right way to do it and so they can learn how to use a chainsaw without cutting limbs off and each other off and things like that. Um, and the first thing we did was then we gave them buck saws and sent them out there and they're up there in the trees sawing like this. And I was like, okay, that's a good start. And now they understand how limbs fall. So we process them into it. But there is an inherent risk, right? But we need to learn how to use them. And they shouldn't be 30 years old and never used a skill saw or a drill or whatever. They need to be introduced to these things early on to build skill sets. So give your child opportunity to risk. Take risks to help develop them physically. Now... That's one thing. Now, I'm going to bridge this to another thing. I'm going to, I'm going to make a great big bridge here. That's, it's going to connect, I, I promise you. Um, the riskiest thing in a child's life is you. Okay? The riskiest thing for children in America are their parents. First of all, the number one cause of death in this country is parents killing unborn babies. Number one cause of death of children in this country is abortion. That makes parents the most dangerous people in children's lives. Okay? In addition to that, most all 
children dealing with neglect issues, with um, abuse issues, are all often at the hands of parents. Okay? You are, parents form one of the highest risks for children in this country. And you need to recognize that. You are more danger to them than a chainsaw. Okay? And we need to recognize that. Now, am I saying you particularly, you three, four moms and dads? No. I'm saying in a class in this country, parents are the most dangerous things in children's lives when they should be the opposite. They should be the safest place for children. Now, there are some other areas of risk that I'm going to talk about that are very controversial. If you don't want to agree with me, um, don't get mad at me. You learned better than that this morning in church. Uh, but I'm going to give you some areas of what I consider risk that you are exposing your children to. And you might say, these are all conspiracy theory things, Pastor. Um, you're kind of way out there. Um, I don't think so. I think there's plenty of research if you want to look for it and find it, if you want to really investigate some of these areas. But I think that there are um, several areas of risk. Once we get past understanding the number one risk to children is their parents. So subcategory underneath that um, is uh, that we believe uh, scientists more than we believe the Bible which means that we are lining our children up to be injected with what we don't know is they're being injected with. And so, yes, I am an anti-vaxxer. Okay? I know that the, the mainstream media makes fun of people like me, and that should bother you because they also hate our president, and they hate conservative anything. They hate Christians. They hate God. And so when they make fun of my hate, or when they call my speech hate speech for calling sin, sin, and then they make fun of me as a conspiracy theorist. Um, the fact is the research is available. It is out there. Um, there are other countries that have outlawed some of the very vaccines that you have to have to go to public school, which is another reason not to go to public school. And so um, we're talking about death, from vaccination. We are talking about autism on wide spectrum of autism that has exploded as vaccines increase, not only in frequency, but in the, the range of vaccines that are available, has exploded. We're talking about allergies that have exploded with the increase of vaccination. If you've ever seen the vaccination timeline, have, you ever, have you, any of you ever seen that? The, the timeline of vaccinations of when they started, when it was polio and then a couple other things. Um, and when I was a child, we had five vaccinations. That was it for our life. And then it became 12, and now it's like 60-some things that they're pumping into children. And so I am a very adamant one that you are putting something in your child's body that, you, that science tells you is safe, and the Bible tells you something very different, okay? Particularly when those, some of those vaccination, vaccines are derived from aborted fetuses. When they have chemicals in them that we know are bad for your body, 
when they put in heavy elements, preservatives in them to keep them so they can give them to you. I also don't get the flu shot, by the way. So it's even in an adult world, I'm a complete anti-vaxxer. All right, I would rather my kid get chicken pox and measles um, than vaccinate against them. Now, have I always been this? No, my children got vaccinated right on schedule because we were stupid. And we were in the medical community. My wife was a nurse and we trusted them and we don't trust them because we know what they're doing to them now. They're, all the stuff is coming out. Then they're doing these things before they had fully researched them. So now we have had them for a generation and we're seeing the results. And um, have family members of ours that were fine, 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 got vaccinated and severe autism. Including my niece. Okay, and it was to the date, bam. And, uh, and that is not rare. Not as rare as you're made to believe. And so, um, when I say that you're the danger, well, if you believe this instead of trusting the Lord, and I'm not going to call you to the other end of the spectrum where you never get medical attention. Um, we're shooting for a balance here of recognizing that, okay? I'm not making you become Amish, and I'm not making you become, who is it that doesn't get, ever go to the doctor? Is it the Jehovah's Witness? Is that who never uses the doctor? Someone, I think it's Jehovah's Witness. You'll never go to the doctor. You don't get blood transfusions, things like that. So um, I'm not trying, I'm trying to keep us there. But we need to recognize the risk this has to your child's body and the physicality. And again, a lot of this is fear mongering. And, and whenever mainstream media takes one road, I always kind of wonder if I should be on the other one. Um, that's pretty much my modus operandi now. If they say one thing, I kind of go, hmm. If they're so adamant about that, maybe I should be investigating what they're making fun of or condemning. Um, and so uh, I really challenge that. Now, I'm going to get, that, that's anti-vaccines. Um, where are parents the most dangerous? Being disconnected from our food supply is, I think, one of the most evil things in our country right now is a company called Monsanto. Who, who, how many of you know who, what Monsanto is? It is the corporation that takes care of all, essentially they have control over our entire food supply in this country. And they're the ones when you talk about GMOs, genetically modified things, when you talk about hormonal things being done, there's a reason mad cow disease cropped up it's because we are exercising ourselves in practices that were not healthy. And when they pump animals full of hormones to get them to grow big and fat fast so they can make more money, those hormones get transferred to you and your children. And that's why we have six-year-olds having menstrual periods in this country. Yes, that's what's going on. You don't hear about it, but that's what's going on. Um, and so uh, I challenge you quite a bit to keep your food supply, uh, know what's in it, and know where it's coming from. And you can see it in my life how I made that choice and said, I'm going to have a, I'm tired of them pumping me full of it, of hormones, and my family full of hormones, and us full of, uh, and the use of antibiotics with children, with, with, um, Animals making us antibiotic resistant uh, when we get sick. And so 
Um, this is what's going on in our country. You go to other countries and you see their food supply is much better. Um, where did mad cow disease start? Do you know? Europe. Why? You know why mad cow disease happened? Because they were feeding cows cows. They were taking herbivore and in their, in their food supply to increase their protein, they were putting in meat. And then the cows would eat the meat. And okay, and so uh, they were breaking the laws of God, of nature, how God designed these creatures. And, to, and, and please understand, all of these companies are doing this for one bottom line, and that is how much money they can make from it. They don't care, essentially, about your, your health. That's secondary, tertiary, maybe it's not even on their radar. Okay, And if you think the FDA and groups like that are going to rescue you from that, or the, the CDC, uh, these organizations, you're wrong. Those are political organizations and, and do, the, do the work. So you need to be, when we talk about nutrition, realize that we're not just talking about processed foods. Sometimes we're talking about... Um, Fruits and vegetables that you're getting that are manipulated by man. And my rule of thumb is the more men manipulate it, the farther you're getting from God's design. And it's going to do injury to you. Now we're trying to do it, just like the vaccines, we're trying to do an end around God. All right? Because God has said some things are going to happen to you. What's going to happen to you? You're going to have, because of sin, you're going to have what? What was the curse? Death. What else? Hard work. You're going to have to labor. Sweat of your brow to eat. We're trying to do end around all of this. And what in the end times are some of the mechanisms that God is going to use to judge the nations? Is going to be famine, illness, all of these things. And we're trying to say, God, you're not going to be able to do that to us. And through technology and all this science, we are trying to eliminate all that. And, and it's not just the Christian radical pastors like me that are moving against that. There's a huge underlying movement in our nation who recognizes this, and they're trying to go back to real food. There's a real food movement. We want real food. We want, we want and it's not just organic, because organic hasn't, it doesn't mean anything anymore, hardly, uh, really. It's real food um, that we want uh, heritage breeds of animals. We want heritage seeds uh, that we can get and, and plant and to grow real food instead of this stuff that men have manipulated with. And so please take care. Recognize that these things are going to affect your child's body um, much more than yours. Why? Because they're still developing. And that's why if you are going to have to get the vaccines, put it off as long as you possibly, possibly can if you're homeschooling, you can put it off almost indefinitely at this point. I don't know how long that will continue, but at this point. Okay? And, uh, and I believe it has a lot of things to do with some of the cancers we have, with some of the other issues going on. with the. Uh, and when Bill Gates gets up in public forums and said, this is how we're going to control population, is through vaccination, uh, that should startle you. Um, and Monsanto, same thing with our food supply. And, and uh, so that takes us to another category, right? Physical well-being. So what else? What other 
danger is there that you should be aware of. So we're all worried about our kids, you know, playing too hard out there and, and maybe hurting themselves, but yet we are endangering them by what we are putting into their bodies. All right, what other dangers are out there? And you've heard me talk about plastics before, and I'm a big one against plastics. Um, this killed turkeys. Plastic initially was introduced as a, uh, <laughs> as, I'm sorry, as margarine. Okay, so margarine and plastic are one chemical bond different from one another. Not one substance, one chemical bond different from one another. Okay, and so I'm, I don't eat margarine. I don't, uh, margarine was originally developed for turkeys to help them fatten up, and the turkeys all died. Okay, and so I don't eat margarine. I don't, you know, I ain't telling nobody. And then plastic, when we look at these uh, they're petroleum products, and petroleum isn't just oil, it's also fats, and, uh, and so we can derive it from the oils that we get from anything. All right. an oil, anything that can produce an oil can be made into a plastic. Canola oil, things like that. You <coughs> Excuse me. And so I'm a big advocate against those, and um, for men particularly, but even for women, uh, plastic has been demonstrated, demonstrable. And it's kind of funny, when I first started talking about people laughed at me. They're like, oh, you got issues. And now it is mainstream because it's true. And we recognize that plastics um, aren't really safe to be in your system. And now we talk about microplastics that are in our environment. They are so inundated our environment that we almost can't avoid them. They are estrogen mimickers in your body, which means that they turn boys into girls. Not fully, but they, they make women, men uh, have less testosterone. It acts like uh, estrogen, and so it becomes problematic, and it exacerbates all the girls' issues as well. And so um, I am a big advocate, and you come into my home, and there'll be very little plastic, and I hate to use it when I do use it, and, and you'll see that. You'll see me using glass, and, and the other one is aluminum. Uh, aluminum is a poison to your body, and so why is all of our drinks in aluminum cans? I don't know, because it's cheap and easy. And remember, the people selling you this stuff have one goal, and that's to make money. Okay, and so glass is hard to deal with, isn't it? It's heavy, it's breakable, so they don't want to do it. Um, and other metals are a little more difficult to work with than than aluminum which is very easy to work with. And uh, so that's why they, and it's lighter. It's, and so they can make their cans a lot lighter than, when I grew up, soda came in a, well, all beer came in tin cans and so did soda beginning, at the beginning, okay? And so we wanna be attentive. When we talk about providing a safe environment, we're all about taking away the risks, which aren't good, all right? You can't take away their physical risk because then they can't develop, but, we're, but that we're, filling them full of this stuff that is truly dangerous to them and that is going to have long-term effect. And so um, compared to these three things of vaccines, uh, uh, whether you have real food or not, and plastics, um, sugar is blows these three out of the water combined. 
okay? That we, and we already talked about that extensively, about the place of sugar, that it is a number one addictive thing that we need to get out of our children's diet as much as we possibly can. And almost all prepared food is inundated with it, okay? So in your provision of all of that, we want to um, carefully uh, reconsider that maybe we have switched these two and we should be a lot more cautious with what we're putting into our child's body and maybe a little less cautious with, you know, um, don't run with your pencil lead pointing up, you know, kind of things. You know, we're all cautious about trying to take away all of these risks while we are exposing them to all of these risks when we should be more concerned about reversing those. And so, again, I don't have scripture and verse for you here on any of this, um, but it is the principle that we acknowledge that God is the author of life. Um, he has declared that death and work and illness and disease and pestilence are part of how he judges the earth. The world is trying to do an end around God's wrath, God's judgments, and trying to snub their nose at God, and we dare not join that parade and recognize that we can trust in the Lord that ultimately um, we are going to uh, participate and, and this world is in our home. We don't worship these bodies, but um, we are to take care of them. And there are instructions in the Bible to take care of your body. All right. And if your water supply is tainted, uh, what was Timothy supposed to do? Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. He had stomach issues. Water uh, was not always good in ancient societies, and wine was much better for you physically. We're not talking about hard liquor and all that. Um, and so take a little wine for your stomach's sake. The Bible also says what is of some benefit, physical exercise is of, little, of, is of a little benefit, all right? Um, but it is godliness that matters. And so we are not, I don't emphatically press this stuff, but in a setting like this, I want to put it on you um, and just uh, encourage you that while we don't worship the body, we, we are called to recognize that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it isn't my temple, it's his temple. And I want it to be functional for his glory. And, that, and I want my children's bodies to be functional to his glory. I want to give them every opportunity so that I'm not the one that destroyed their body. And I have apologized to my children. You know, I was ignorant, and I'm not anymore. And, uh, and they're not. And so, um, and you're not at this point. You can do the research and that wasn't available to me when I was a, a first-time dad. You couldn't get this stuff. It wasn't, not easily. Um, not unless you were in a certain loop of, of people and communications um, because the internet wasn't there. You know, there was no access to reports and studies unless you were in the scientific community or in the food industry or in these industries. And so we were largely ignorant. But uh, now we have access to a lot more and uh, it's uh, getting worse. It's just doesn't surprise us. It doesn't worry us. We just take adequate measures. 
Um, I haven't even gotten into the homes, into what chemicals are in your homes and the safety issues there. Um, but we want to uh, uh, be knowledgeable in our supply, provision for our children, and of safe environments. What does that mean? It doesn't mean risk-free from physical injury, but it should be more risk-free from internal poisoning that our world is putting forward and, and wanting you to participate in. Okay, and so a little something to munch on there for a little while and consider. And again, am I going to take you to task if you don't follow through on some of this? No. I just, I'll lead by example and I'll warn and give information, but it's your family, your children, and you choose. Okay. But I have to have, I feel a responsibility in a setting like this to at least share that information. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for uh, your word and for your promises that are there. We, you, we know that we have instruction from you to care for these bodies. And while we don't worship them and our hope isn't in them in the physical world at all, we still have responsibility to recognize that this is your dwelling place. This is how you want us to serve you and, and, and honor you with our bodies, that they're yours. We've given you all of our heart, our mind, our soul, but also our strength. And Lord, uh, we want to put them to your use, and we pray that you might uh, just give us uh, wisdom in caring for our children and in what we expose them to, Lord. We pray that you might uh, allow them to learn and develop the skills and the, uh, and the uh, capabilities uh, to do the things that would be required of them in life. But they might also guard them from that which would poison your creation, how you created us. And Lord, we recognize that there are um, diseases here and we know their danger. We know the devastation that has come, but you have told us that this is how you judge man. And so Lord, we pray that we might uh, recognize the, the there's when we have to work hard, when we have to sweat, when we have to um, see death around us uh, to live, that we recognize that that is the punishment of our sin and not ultimately your design. And so we pray that we might uh, be careful in our uh, movement through this world, recognizing that man is seeking to thwart your judgment avoid the penalties for sin and in so doing simply multiply them. And so give us wisdom. Lord our trust and our hope is in you. Our future is in your presence and not on this earth. And so give us wisdom to be here and harmless as doves but wise as serpents. In Christ Jesus name. Amen.